There you go. Got the Mardi Gras music rolling. For all the people around the country, this is Mardi Gras season. That it is. There you go. Be coming up real, real soon. I think February 28th this wow. year. All mm-hmm. right. So we'll roll a little Mardi Gras music just to, <laughs> just get, to the, get you in the get mood. The spirit. There, there you, you go. go. Yeah, Mardi Gras season always starts on January 6th. Right. Which is the Feast of the Epiphany. That's when it starts. And then the day is basically established by the church. I forget the exact formula, but it's something to do with the moon and yah, 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 yah. And they calculate. It can fall anywhere from early February to, to late March. Right. Like I said, this year is February 28th. For people who don't know what Mardi Gras is, kind of like. It's kind of like a big street party. Well, kind of like the Super Bowl and the World Series and Woodstock all put together. <laughs> <laughs> you had to throw Woodstock yeah, in there. That's huh? right. If you're in New Orleans, because you figure you got a 13 block here with probably two and a half million drunk people in that's it. That's <laughs> it. Exactly. So, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Glad you joined us this morning. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have, you got a question about your car, a question about Mardi Gras. That's <laughs> it. Just give us a call. You give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Of course, the number is 291-6901 if you want to talk to us. That's right. And if you're not in the Baton Rouge area, you can always use our area code, which is 225. And you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from you. Tell us about how hot or how cold it is wherever you happen to be. <laughs> It's not too, too bad right now. No, it's not. It's 40s. a little above average, yeah. but not much right now. Yeah. Of course, that's going to change next week, I believe. Yeah. Well, like I said, you never know. In this that's area. it. <laughs> Our weather is so volatile. You know? it's, it changes so dramatically mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, I was talking to a fellow from uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, and uh, he said their weather is much the same. I mean, not the same as ours, but it changes like uh-huh. ours does. Change. Yeah, it can go anywhere from 40 below zero to 110 degrees. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good spread. That, that it is. That it is. So, anyway, hey, give us a call, 291-6901. We'd love to hear from you. Got all our lines wide open. You know, I noticed the other day, it seems we do a lot of, a lot more work on inside the doors of cars. Than we used to? Than we yeah, used we to do. at one time. And I guess part of that is because there's more things in a door now. Well, and the things that. Or in the door have changed so much. They have. You've got your window regulator. It used to be the old manual crank had a metal scissor with nylon rollers on it that when you cranked the handle, it was geared and it ran the window up yep. and down mm-hmm. very easily. Well, no, and not a lot to go wrong with. No. No. I mean, every once in a while, the, the little nylon bushings would go bad. Right. But you take the door panel off, replace the bushings, and lube the track up, and back, you're good to go again. Back on down the road. But today's vehicles, today's vehicles are built so light. Yeah. Well, they're built to be assembled quick and to be light and weight. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways they have done that is with the power window structure. Nowadays, it has a track, for the most part, with a plastic roller at top and bottom with a cable and a motor that winds that cable up and down, which makes the window go up and down. Right. And what happens is that when you use it a good deal or if you let the tracks get dirty or sticky or gummy the window will stick and the motor's not going to stop so it starts forcing it and ends up breaking that regulator when the regulator breaks the cable kind of wads up inside the the mechanism and then you're into a whole new regulator there you go the the window quits working and those can be quite involved to get out of the door they can you know the the older doors had a great big opening had a door Mm -hmm. panel that went on it well, nowadays, the doors, the door panel covers the entire door, but when you take it off, there's not a big hole there to work right. out of anymore. 
you have certain areas that are cut out of the, the door structure Small frame. Small access panels. And you've got to take that regulator out, fold it in a certain way, and try to finagle it out of the, the yeah. little hole in the door. Well, and it's because the doors are so much lighter. You know, back when this was made out of the 18-gauge steel or, or whatever gauge they used, it was a pretty heavy assembly. They could cut out the whole center section door and it still Wouldn't had pl- it. plenty of strength. Right. Well, now it's such a light gauge of metal that they have to leave more in there. And to get the same structure. To get the in- integrity of it. Of course, when you're talking about door integrity, I don't remember exactly when they mandated the door intrusion beams. Right. But old cars back in the 1950s did not have that. The door just had like a skin and a frame. And when you got punched in the door, a car could bent that in pretty darn good. Right. They would also jam a lot of times. The way that the mechanisms and locks and latches and stuff were fabricated if a car took a hard frontal or rear collision, the doors may jam, and the driver and passenger might get actually out. be trapped inside the car. Right. Car doors today are designed in such a fashion. They have a reinforced A-pillar and a reinforced B-pillar, and the latches are made to where they will not jam, except under just the most extreme conditions. Generally, if you hit that car hard enough to jam those doors, you're probably and, not going to be getting out of it anyway. Yeah. And that's part of your intrusion beam. It keeps right. that structure fairly straight. Mm-hmm. And keeps all that kind of in line in, a, in an accident. Right. There's a big beam a lot of people don't realize because it's behind the door skin on the outside. It's inside the frame. Right. It hooks in and ties into the A-pillar and the B-pillar. And it's a steel seam made out of either high-strength steel or martensitic steel. Right. Which is an extremely high-strength steel. I mean, this stuff is probably way over 150,000 PSI tensile strength. And if you ever try to straighten one you can't you cannot (laughs) (laughs) you can't you can lay this thing on a frame machine and take a five pound mallet and hit it as hard as you can and it just bounces right off oh yeah it just about bounced that hammer right out of your hand yeah i mean whatever they make it out of i need to make shoes out of that because (laughs) (laughs) that's the toughest stuff i've ever seen it's really some strong metal yeah and every car sold in the united states is mandated by law to have these door intrusion beams right And what they do is they protect the driver and the passenger in case of a side impact. Generally, it it can't stop a car, but it's going to certainly slow it down enough. It's going to bend in enough to where it's going to absorb most of that impact. I mean, obviously, if a freight train hits a car from the side or an 18-wheeler hits your car, it has limits to what it can do. Exactly. But in most collisions that most people will be involved in, it saves a lot of lives. Yes, it does. And it's there, and nobody knows. You know, it's not a hindrance to anybody but the guy working inside the door right it's a passive safety Correct. function as opposed to some of your active functions like seat belts and all that where you have to interact with them this is just in there it's right it's welded in and that's another reason why many doors today are non-repairable in collisions whereas a few years ago you could put a new skin on it you could straighten it and right. all that if you had a 55 Chevrolet, you could take that panel off the inside, get in there, beat the dent out, straighten it. Worst case, cut the skin off, weld the skin on skin it, reskin the door. But now what happens that if it does get hit hard enough to bend that intrusion beam. Then it's done. It's done. You can't repair it because it's going to weaken that steel once it bends, and you can't straighten it anyway. Mm-hmm. So now you're into a new door. And sometimes a considerable amount of work to the A&B pillar because when that door built, bends in it's going to suck those pillars in correct when you push in the center of a beam it's going to get shorter so the 
space has to come from somewhere. Right, and there's where a little framework comes in, too, because you can get inside that door, wrap a chain around that beam. Mm -hmm. You can pull that beam back out, and when it comes out, it's going to shove those other two pillars back right. into position. You're still not going to be able to fix the door, right? but you can use it to straighten the rest of the structure before you change the door out. Right, and that's the reason that you always want a car that's been involved in a collision. I know we do framework in right. the shop, so we somewhat knowledgeable about this. But what happens, a lot of people will bring you a car to do some framework for them. And the first thing they want to do is go in and start taking parts off of it. Mm -hmm. And that is That's the a, absolute wrong thing to do. Yes, it is. And they say, well, I thought I was making it easier. No, you made it much, much more difficult. In fact, if you take it back home, put, put all the all parts <laughs> back on and bring it back, it would right. be a lot easier. Because when damage goes in, everything is there. So it all pulls and moves and tweaks and all that. What you want to do when you correct collision damage is you want to reverse the process you Correct. want to take the damage out where the damage is and if all the structure of the car is there then it kind of takes out a lot of the follow-through without having to go in individually address each part right it makes it a lot faster a lot cleaner job a lot cleaner job and because you're going to replace the door you can go in, punch a couple of holes in the skin, wrap around that beam. Exactly. You've got something to pull against that it doesn't matter if the chains bite it and chew it up. You don't have to pull against the parts that you're trying to straighten. The door will the door put the damage there so when the, it went in. So the, when you pull it back out, the door is going to put the damage back out again. Exactly. And you only end up replacing the one part. But very, Whereas, very often, folks will bring them to you and they've taken the bumper off they've taken the fenders off they've right. you know, all the structure so now it becomes well you got to go to each individual part then mm -hmm. you got and then you got to figure out a way to tie to it right sometimes that involves a clamp sometimes that involves welding a tab to put a clamp onto mm -hmm. it just depends on how severe the damage is well and it's almost always going to involve a lot more work and probably a lot more cosmetic damage sure. to the corresponding parts I know we had a pickup truck one time it was back when I was doing framework. It had been hit pretty hard, and the guy took the bed off. And I told him, I said, I need the bed back on the truck. Uh -huh. He said, well, you can get to it a lot easier. I said, yeah, I know that, but the bed is a structural part of this frame. It holds the two rails together. Correct. And when I straighten it, it's going to straighten all the bed mounts and all out. Whereas if you take that off, I can straighten the frame out. And your bed's not going to fit anymore. Exactly. The so, frame is going to be straight. Right. But the bed is still going to be bent. Right. And it's all the mounts and all, I would have to go in and individually straighten each, each one, one of these mounts. Whereas if I straighten it with the bed on there, all that would have come back into place. Correct. Without any additional work. And, of course, the more time you spend, the more money it's going to cost someone. Yep. Because time is money. And that's just one of the functions on the door. You said that door intrusion beam. We're going to talk a whole lot more about that and whatever work. else you want to talk about. <laughs> That's right. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? 
I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Give us calls, 291-6901. And if you happen not to make today's show or maybe think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight, you can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. And, of course, there's lots and lots of other things you can do while you're on the website. You can look around. There's detailed topics on just about any topic you might. Automotive-related topic. That's right. Come up with and got the general questions, which is a short answer to a direct question. Mm-hmm. Put that in the search bar. It's going to bring those up for you. Just tons and tons of things you can do. I think you'll get tired of looking for you. Run out of <laughs> stuff to look at. That's for a fact. It's uh, www.agcoauto.com. A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. I think you really enjoy it. That I think you will. There's, hey. Like you said, there's plenty of, of information there. There you go. We were talking today about doors and stuff on cars, some of the things that are inside the doors. And, of course, we've got the window. We talked just a little bit about mm-hmm. that. And the old days with the windows where you had three wires and it was a ground with two positives that would switch polarity. Right. And those were pretty easy to diagnose. But today you've got some that may have 15, 20 wires going into the motor. Exactly. And they're electronic motors. They operate different even though they do the same thing. It's but not, they are much, much, much more difficult to diagnose. That they are. Like you said, there's the body module controls the window now. That's right. Instead of just the switch on the the door. Generally, when you're pushing the switch, you're sending a request to lower the window, and the request is relayed to the body module, which makes necessary things that have to go on to make the window roll down. Right. Like everything else, it's just a whole (laughs) lot more complicated world. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go to our phone lines. John, good morning, John. Hi, gentlemen. It's John from Toronto. How are you, sir? Good. You weren't too busy this morning, so I, I thought I could ask a question from Canada. I want to take your customers' time. Oh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> I've got a family member that's buying a 2016 leftover Fusion, and it's got a stop-start technology. And, you know, some of these things can cause trouble later. And I wondered about if you know whether they have bigger batteries and what that does, what kind of problems and the cost of starters and that type of thing when you have that cutting in and out all the time. Yeah, that could be pretty pricey, John. I mean, I know on a Prius, for instance, which is one of the more popular hybrids that do that same function, what they've got is a motor assembly. They call it a transaxle assembly. And the motor, the alternator, and the starter are all three the same thing. It's a big motor that can generate electricity also. That part is about $12,000 when it goes out. (laughs) So pretty much you total the car if it's any age at all. I don't know on a Fusion, how expensive they are, 
You're, I know General Motors has just come out with that on the uh, the Impalas right this year, and one of our customers was telling us about it. It has a gel wrap battery, okay, in the trunk, and it has that same start stop technology, right. You, as soon as you let off the throttle, the engine dies. Right. And it coasts most of the time if you're moving. Say if you come to a stop sign and you're sitting there with your foot on a brake, the engine dies. Mm-hmm. When you push the accelerator, the engine starts back up and the vehicle goes. I'm, I'm not real sure. We hadn't dealt with many of them yet. Yeah, yeah. we won't see them for a, a number of years, yeah. so they all get out of warranty and stuff. And then I'm not too sure I won't see them then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I unless I was just getting that car basically given to me, I would look for something a little bit less problematic potential maybe. for problems yeah. i tried to talk him into a camry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> but he's he's 75 and yeah. uh, might he might be his last car he's gonna buy but he might keep it 10 or 12 years like yeah up here we don't we normally don't keep them as long as you do because right. they end up the body body starts coming creeping up to the top yeah, yeah i understand oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I, I've tried to, to avoid that. This, there's not many cars left now, and of course, big rebates. It's forty to five thousand dollars off, and all looks real attractive, and mm-hmm. the thing starts breaking. So uh, well, that's right. I guess yeah. I better get them to buy at least a seven-year maintenance plan. Yeah, probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Right, John. If, 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 if what you're talking, if you think, if you got a minute or whatever, yeah. If you got any other ideas about things on modern cars that you might try and avoid, it might be useful to us all. John, I tell you the truth. I try to look at technology from a cost benefit standpoint, which is what I do with everything that I have to purchase. There's how much does it cost? What is the benefit? Is it worth it to me? And I do that whether I'm buying a steak at a restaurant or a car. If I have a taste for a steak and that's what I want, that's great. But if it costs $60, I may weigh that out. Well, you know, it really doesn't taste that good to me. The <laughs> 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 same thing with a lot of this technology. It's kind of cool, but yeah. I tend to look at things from a standpoint of breaking because that's my world. Everything I see is broken. And I say, okay, what is the potential for breakage? It's pretty high. What is the cost of repair? It's pretty high. What is the benefit? Well, that's a lot lower to me now. So I just, almost anything can be done, but it doesn't mean it necessarily needs to be done. Dr. Deming used to call that gold plating. In other words, you, you can take a coffee cup and gold plate it, but it doesn't really make it any more functional. It doesn't make it any better. It just makes it more expensive. And a lot of the technology we got today is kind of like that. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, I'm getting a bit of a bad line here, so I better let you. Okay, John. All right. Thanks for calling, Thanks man. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we've got Doug online. Good morning, Doug. How's it going? Doing great, Doing sir. great. Looking at possibly getting another pickup truck, maybe a new one. And I was just looking on the Internet, and I noticed that I believe this Dodge is a 10-speed transmission. Right. Yep. I would have to think that. When it breaks, it's going to be one big price tag to repair. Well, and a lot of those are basically non-repairable yeah. uh, in the shop. It's just a matter of replacement. You can't repair it because they don't service the parts for it, and it would be so expensive. And I'm going to put you on hold because I'm there we go. getting too much noise in the background. And really, it's one of those technologies like we were talking about a second ago, Doug. The driver is going to notice no real improvement. But the fact is, it's going to shift two and a half times more than the four speed, so it's going to wear out faster than the four speed, and it's practically non-repairable when it does break. So it's one of those things, it's an emissions-type thing. It keeps the RPM of the engine at a very constant range so they can meet the federal emissions standards that they have to meet. 
because that RPM is changing drastically, they can only optimize for a narrow range. More gears, the more they can keep it in that range. But that's basically the function of it. It's not going to benefit the driver at all. You're not going to notice anything. It's not going to pull better. It's not going to get appreciably better fuel mileage or any of that. About the only thing you're going to notice is it shifts a whole lot more than you used to. Right. And because it's shifting a whole lot more, it's probably going to wear out a whole lot faster. And it's sort of like when they went to the six speeds, we run across that now because they've been out a few years. And what happens when a six-speed transmission breaks, it pretty much totals the car. Right. Because where a four-speed, you could completely rebuild it for $2,000, A six-speed is going to be four to forty-five to, to $5,000 or more. Usually on a 10- or 12-year-old vehicle. Right. So. It, it just about totals the vehicle because of the cost of maintaining the technology. And we see that more and more and more. And I believe that that is by design. The manufacturers know if they can put enough expensive technology in the cars, it can effectively keep a person from keeping it too long, right. which is their ultimate goal. And they're in the, the business to sell cars. They're in the business selling cars, not you driving a car for 15 years. You know, I'm the guy they don't like. Right. You know, I, <laughs> I drive a car for 20 years, put 300,000 miles on it, and my niece works for a new car dealership. I was talking to her last night. She yeah. said, when you get a new car, I can get you a good deal. I said, baby, I don't want a new car. Yeah, don't need a new car. I've got a new car. I got a 2005. That's that's (laughs) new to me. (laughs) It's new enough. That's right. does everything I want to do. But everybody did that. I guess they would go out of business, or at least their business would be curtailed to a great degree. So they cannot come out and make you do it. And at this time, they hadn't been able to pass enough laws to get you out of them. Right. They can do things like run the parts prices up for them, charge a lot more for replacement parts to make it expensive to repair. I mean, they can even discontinue parts on a lot of them, make it more difficult to repair. They can do things like that. But what they're doing with some of this technology is they're going to just price you out of the car. Sure. You're going to have things that are going to break that either you can't get anymore. Like, for instance, if a PCM, power control module, breaks on a modern car, and they've discontinued that part, that's it. You're done. That's right. You have a non-repairable car because you can't repair this thing. It's all sealed up. It's programmed, which means only they can clear the registers to allow you to reprogram it. Well, and most of them have a lockout, so once they're programmed, that's That's it. it. You can't go back into them. get back into it. And the problem is that each one of these modules, and there's 70 of them or more on the car, might be 1,000 dollars or more each yeah and they're all can get them they're yeah. all talking to each other well and when it right. doesn't see one then the whole system shuts down well yeah and we were talking about doors a little bit earlier and we had a cadillac come in that had some flooding and it didn't go completely underwater but the water got inside the door right and in the seats and by the time i got through pricing all these modules that had gone underwater for two doors and two seats it was more than the car was worth sure we basically totaled the car because it's got oh, I don't remember, six or eight modules that are close to $1,000 a piece, plus installation, plus, plus all the other stuff that was right. wrong. So you're up to $10,000 repair on a car that's 10 years old. Yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah, it just goes to the boneyard because it's just not practical to repair. Yep. And like I said, I think a lot of that is design. customer well, customer demand. People want cool things on their cars, and they can do it, and they can put it on there, but... A lot of it is kind of getting rid of some of these old cars. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally. 
All he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go give us a call, 291-6901. And we were talking about doors on vehicles That's but right. we will entertain any automotive question you have this morning as always whatever topic we may be muddling around on it does not mean we're limited to that you uh, give us a call talk about anything you want to talk about there you go there you go and we were talking about the windows and all that in the door certainly that is one thing that's in a door another big repair thing that we see is door locks right uh, most of the door locks today have some type of an actuator, which is a little stepper motor, and it pulses down and it pulses back up to open and close it. Right. Back in the day, you had an actuator, kind of a solenoid type deal, and it was tied into the linkage that the handle used. Right. And when you pushed the button, it powered it up and it pulled the linkage one way. and Just a magnetic call. Right. Flipped around and unlocked. But now today, those stepper motors are in the latch assembly. Part of the latch assembly for the most part. Right. And when they go bad, it's a it's a new latch assembly instead of just a little actuator. Right. I remember the actuators in days gone by, whether they were magnetic, like you're talking about. A few of them had vacuum operated. Some of the European oh, was, cars. Yeah. But you could buy those for ten dollars, twelve dollars for an actuator. Yeah, they riveted to the door frame. Right. Not very difficult to replace. Well, now a actuator might be. Three, four hundred dollars or more in some cases. Uh, plus, plus a lot more labor to get in and change. Anywhere between an hour and a half and two hours to tear the door down, get in there and replace right. that actuator. Sometimes you have to take the window regulators out of the way to to access the the latch. You can right. get you can get to the three screws that hold it to the door real right. easy. They're right on the outside. Mm-hmm. But getting the the linkage unhooked from it and getting it out of the door is where the big labor's at. Right. And a lot of times they will have cables and such as that that connect the handle to this latch assembly. The right. cables may break. They sometimes wear out. Those sorts of things. All kinds of stuff can go Well, and they can, on. you mentioned those cables. They could be damaged by taking the door panel off. Right. So GM has a bulletin out on, on the, the models that have the Silverados cables. and all that. When you take the door panel up, instead of pulling it away from the door, you have to reach in behind it and unhook that cable before you pull the panel away from the door or you will break the tab that holds the cable. And many a sad Silverado and Sierra owner have learned that the hard, hard way. way. Exactly. Because that door panel, I want to say, is a three $400 part, that big plastic door panel. Right. And the, the problem of getting the door panel, because a lot of that stuff they discontinue after so right. long. Well, they don't keep that kind of stuff very long at all because it doesn't break a whole lot and it's expensive. And they only make a certain number of them so. and they need storage place that's right you know it's a lot easier to store that little module or a piece of cable than it is that big old door panel right but if you 
don't you know, you, you lift up on the door panel and just pull it away right. like many many people do you break it yeah you've broken it and we'll get people all the time well how do you hook this back up well, you can't <laughs> hook that back up you just broke a piece of plastic off that holds it in yeah and i mean i guess I don't know if there's a way you can get by without leave a hole in the door and uh, grab the uh, cable and open it by <laughs> hand. I mean, it's not going to look very attractive. It's not going to be a whole lot of fun. But right. that can be a very, very expensive little sure. lesson sure. for you. We, we see it a lot. And since those trucks are so popular, it does happen quite a bit. And certainly everybody wants to save money. Sure. And a lot of people, well, I could take a door panel off. Anybody can do that. Well, yeah, and you can, but be aware that right when you lift this up don't grab it and manhandle it because you and you know you're talking about lifting it up and, and taking it off some door panels have a kind of a serrated clip that pushes into the door and holds the panel there right some of them you take a couple screws at the bottom and you lift right. the panel out of some cleats it goes little cleats will go into the, into uh, the door frame door frame and if you grab that door panel and you pull it and break them cleats off right not knowing that it's the new design or the different design mm-hmm. You're in a door panel again. Well, very often they're made out of some form of plastic. Oh, yeah. They're all plastic. Nylon or plastic or whatever. Uh, might be a carbon fiber, whatever the material is. And what you look at on the outside is a nice, pretty piece of leather or vinyl or whatever. That's just for dress. But that is bonded to a piece of plastic under there. Mm-hmm. And that plastic attaches to the door. And it's not like the old days where it just had a couple screws in it. You take screws out and it came off. Right. Uh, Generally, it's either got, like you said, the little push-in. Uh, we call them little push-in chuchuts is what we call yeah. them. <laughs> it's just a little part that kind of screws into our threads into that door panel and then goes into a hole, and because it has little fins on it, it just it holds pushes it. through and holds it in place. Or sometimes they have the little ears, right. and those will generally either have to be moved up or moved sideways or whatever most, way they're put in there. Most of the ones I've seen, you lift them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you, I guess they, they figure the gravity is going to hold them into position with a couple little screws in the bottom, and the door panel's not going anywhere. That's right. Well, there's no force in operation of the vehicle that's going to pick up on that door panel. No, there's not. So I mean, you're going to grab the handle. You're gonna, yeah, you're not going to. If they made it to where it just pulls straight out, you might grab the armrest and pull on it and cause it to come apart. And but, that's something else. You mentioned armrest. Mm-hmm. You have to look for all the hidden screws. Right. Because a lot of times the manufacturers will hide the, the screws behind a panel or under an armrest or, you know, somewhere. Well, there's usually always a hidden screw around the handle it, itself. Screws are not attractive. Right. And when you're trying to build a vehicle that somebody wants to buy, they don't want to see a bunch of screw heads exactly. sticking through the so door panel. So they're hidden for the most part. Or they're using a blind fastener of some sort right. that does not show from the outside. And it's all for cosmetics. It makes the car more attractive. I mean, back in the 1950s, you just had a little chrome screw yeah. that went through it. There, it <laughs> that was, was right it. there. And you, that's took just, the screws out, you took yeah. the panel off. Well, people accepted that back then because right. they didn't didn't know any better, I guess. <laughs> didn't know better was even possible. But now almost all of that is hidden and such as that, which just complicates the process. Sure. Here you, actually, you actually have to go to service data and look up these door panels to mm-hmm. see how they come off the vehicle. That's right. And the process in which they come off. Now, door lock actuators don't always just fail. Right. And we will get people in there and say, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you'll tell them, well, it's the actual. Well, why does it work sometimes? Because that's just how it works. An electronic part is not a gear motor or something that either runs or doesn't run. Right. It can run and just run weak. It, it moves, but it just doesn't have enough power. Sometimes it has enough power to push the latch up. Sometimes it doesn't. If you hit the button and it doesn't have power, that particular moment for then whatever reason work. then it just doesn't work the door doesn't unlock or doesn't lock mm-hmm. 
And we see that a lot on pretty much all cars. I know GM, we change those a bunch. Ford, yeah. we change them a bunch. Even Toyota, we seem to change those door lock actuators quite, quite a, a bunch. And what will generally happen, one door may start acting up, and then another may start acting up. And I have seen where you have to change all four of the lock actuators on within a car. A, within a certain period of time. Right. Yeah, they all fail. Maybe with- within a year, all four of them will go out. And I had a customer come in one time, and he had gone back to the dealership, and they had changed two of them, and he was really aggravated. These things keep going out. Uh-huh. Said, no, no, they're not keep going out. First was the left front, then it was the right rear, then it was, you know, now it's right. the left rear. It's just different ones are going out. And he was insinuating it was the same problem recurring. I said, no. He said, well, the door doesn't. Well, yeah, I know. But anything that happens, the door doesn't work or a door doesn't work. Uh-huh. But it's not the same problem. And I know it's convenient for people to kind of think that way. I had a gentleman who had an air conditioning problem, and the evaporator core was leaking. Okay. So there was no refrigerant in the system, and it didn't blow cold. So brought it in. We replaced the evaporator core. Well, coincidentally, about a month later, an actuator goes out under the dash that controls the blend door. Right. Well, now it's blowing heater air. So it's a different problem to a mechanic. You say no. Before it wouldn't blow cold because the refrigerant system wasn't working. Now it's blowing hot because of the actuator. But to the client, it was still not blowing cold. It's not blowing cold. Right. And so we went ahead and fixed that. Well, ironically, another three, four months later, the control panel goes out. And now... It won't work at all unless you push against the button and then the fan will come on and it'll start working. Mm-hmm. Well, again, to the customer, it's just not blowing it's cold. It's not air. blowing cold. Right. And what you got to realize is no matter what goes wrong, from a bad compressor to a blown fuse, the symptom is going to be it's not going to blow cold. Right. Because that's how air conditioners work. And it's the same thing with door locks and windows and all that. The symptom is going to be it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Now, that might be a bad door lock actuator. It could be a bad switch. It could be a broken wire. It could be the body control module burned out. Right. Any one of those is a totally different problem. However, they all have the same end result. End result is that the door lock doesn't work. Right. And what can happen, too, is that if these actuators start to go bad, they may start drawing a lot more current through the system because by virtue of the fact that they're bad. Not only that, but the driver is generally going to sit there and just keep hitting the button trying to make it work well sure. now you're duty cycling it way more than it was designed to, to be so if you drive it around like that for several months before bringing it in for service then you bring it in for service okay we find a door, bad door lock actuator we replace the door lock actuator well a month later the switch fails well the switch failed because you duty cycled the snot out of it and drove it around with a bad actuator for two years before right. you brought it in to get it fixed now, I know it's aggravating, and it's aggravating to the shop as well, and I know the door wasn't working before. They fixed it, and it's still not working. Right. But it's two different problems. So you have to kind of understand that. We, we've seen, actually, that if you keep cycling it, like you were saying, you'll actually burn the, the driver out of the, the body computer. You can burn the body computer up if you just keep on sitting there playing with it right. enough because, like anything electrical or electronic, it's got a duty cycle. Correct. It's got to be off so many minutes of every period of time, it can't just sit there and continually run. It's just not designed for 100% duty cycle. And a lot of the cars today, the duty cycle is really, really low on that sure. stuff. It's just not designed. It's kind of like a power window. It's designed to push that window up, let it go, and go and drive around. Maybe the next day, roll it down, and a half hour later, roll it up or whatever. And it will do that pretty well. 
But if you sit there and just run it up, run it down, run it up, run it down, run, you know, it's not going to take long for that yeah, motor to overheat. Burn it. You're going to burn it up. Yeah, you, it doesn't have time duty cycle. to cool down. Another thing that's just like that is a starter motor on a car. Sure. It's not designed to sit there and continually crank the car. And one reason starter motors last so much longer today is because cars start a lot better today because oh, yeah. of all the electronics. Most of the time now, when you turn the key or hit the button, the car starts so fast you don't even hear the starter. Exactly. Boom, it's gone. It's started. And so there, the duty cycle is really, really low on that part. So it's not unusual for us to see starters lasting the life of the car now. Uh, certainly up to 150, 200,000 miles is fairly frequent now. Mm-hmm. I remember back not that many years ago, it was unusual to see a starter last 60,000 miles. Right. If you remember back the old big starters, and they were generally down the bottom of the motor, and those old motors always leaked all, all would get into them and take them out. Yep. They would sometimes run through high water. Water would get into them, take them out. And the old car got hard to start cranking, and they'd just sit there and yang, 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 yang. Well, it overheats. It exceeds the duty cycle. It burns up the insulation on the motor. Well, once that insulation is overheated, it starts to flake off. Next thing you know, two wires touch together, and the start is done. done. So we kind of got away off our original topic. Right. But when we talk about motors and actuators and all those kinds of things, it's important that when you hit that button and your door locks don't work, don't keep either just discontinue using it or get it in for service. Right. If you can't afford or it's impractical to get it serviced right now, then go to locking your door manually. Right. Quit trying to use it because if you keep on pushing the button, pushing the button, pushing the button, it may eventually lock, it may eventually unlock, but, but you may also burn up something else. And right. There's some pretty expensive componentry. That makes that all door. that stuff work. Yeah. Yeah, there is. So, anyway, just a little tip there. Same thing on your power windows when they don't want to go up and down. The best thing to do, first off, if you want to try to do something yourself, is get out and clean all the tracks. Right. Put the window down and get in the track where the window actually sits into that velvet or that fiber track. Right. Get in there and clean that real good mm-hmm. and then get a little silicone paste. A silicone paste or even a clear silicone spray. Right. Some type of a lubricant that's not going to be obnoxious and get all over. You can't put a grease or anything, obviously. Right. But something that's clear and thin enough where you won't really notice it, put a little bit of that in there, and many times that will fix your problem. That will, and that will also prolong the life of that motor. Oh, most definitely, because what happens, that rubber sits out in the baking hot sun sure. in south Louisiana. It gets kind of soft, and it almost bonds to that glass. Right. When you hit the button, well, you got a little motor. It's torquing up trying to pull that window down against that stuck that, seal that's formed on it and that really will do, exceed the duty cycle in the motor right that, that little motor is designed to lift that window in a lubricated track so many times a minute right and very very uh, infrequently at that right now the same thing holds true with the motor that goes out and you can easily burn up the switch now another thing that makes those switches go bad they're usually on the door uh-huh and when it's pouring down rain right. and you sling the door open, that stuff is sitting out there in the rain. Right. The rain's getting on it. It's getting on it. It's getting wet. And it doesn't take all that long for that water to find its way into the electrical part. When it does, it's going to start to corrode. Next yep. thing you know, you got a window or door lock not working. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the rain inside the door. When you mm-hmm. take the door panel off, mm-hmm. there's a piece of plastic that is glued to the door. That's a weather seal. Exactly. It keeps the water and then the 
the um, humidity that gets inside the door from the window track, mm-hmm. I mean, from the window seal. Right. When you roll the window down, it no longer seals against the glass, so water does get into that door. Right. There is a drain in the bottom. Right. Keep those clean. The water will go through the door, out the bottom, and you're done. If that window, if that weather seal gets broke, mm-hmm. then it exposes the back of the door panel to all the outside elements. That's right. And it will rot it, and like you were saying earlier, it will short the wires out, and it will really cause some, some havoc in there. We see that quite a bit where a door has been worked on by who, what who knows? we call a butcher, mm-hmm. which is a guy who just more or less tore something up that did not need to be torn up by proper service methods. And they just they just take and tear that, that uh, panel. panel up. And a lot of times you can't even buy those. Right. It's just a plastic sheet that's glued in there, and they just rip it apart. Well, now it's not doing its job anymore. Exactly. So. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep, it's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Fernando online. Good morning, Fernando. Hey, good morning, Louis and Brian. Nice to hear you guys again. Yes, sir. Good morning. It's Colin. Good morning. Yes, I'm calling out regarding my 2005 Tundra V6. The problem that I have with it is that sometimes at certain gas stations, when I go to fill up gas, mm-hmm. I have no problem whatsoever. But at other times, I'm not sure uh, if it depends on the uh, pump I'm, I'm using, but mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have that problem where it'll stop pouring or it'll stop uh, flowing. Yeah, keep kicking off. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a problem. And I was wondering, what could it be? Um, I've heard you guys mention in the past that sometimes when you overfill the tank, although I'm not sure about the history of this truck, I've only had it for like close to two years. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my question today. Yeah, I think probably, Fernando, if it only does it at certain stations, it's probably not a problem with your car. It's probably some of those pumps are set a little more sensitive than others are. I know you're calling from California, aren't you? Yeah. And they have a pretty sensitive system. In fact, they have that hose on most of them that goes down and covers the nozzle, which recoups the fumes coming out of the tank, which we don't have here. It's just a pretty sensitive system, and it's prone to cut off a lot. I would think if it doesn't do it on all the pumps or most of the pumps, it's most likely a problem with the pump. It's just that one's set a little more sensitive than others. And, I mean, your truck may have an evap issue that's just starting where it's backing up a slight bit more but again until or unless it got to where it did it all the time or if it threw a check engine light i don't think i would spend money trying to uh, worry about it okay because it's it's not going to affect the running of the vehicle or anything but 
It's got a charcoal canister with a couple solenoids and all, and that is very, very closely monitored on that truck as far as the check engine light. If it malfunctions to a degree where it's going to harm anything, it's going to throw the check engine light pretty fast. And especially being a California. Yeah, a California model is going to be um, way more sensitive even than a federal model would be. It has to be an even tougher standard. So Might just avoid those stations that give you trouble. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys very much, and thank you for having the show in, in 2017. Oh, well, thank, year. great. Thank you. thank you, Fernando. Bye-bye. All right. You guys have a great day. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, we were talking just a little bit about doors and all the all the things componentry that... and stuff in there. Right. You know, another thing that a lot of people don't think about, and that's the door hinges. Right. And right. those do wear out. They do. There's a brass bushing with a, a steel pin that goes through it through the steel hinge. And the weight of the door and constantly opening and closing. Yeah, right. It tends to wear those little brass bushings out. Mm -hmm. And if you can catch it in time, you can go in, knock the pins out, take the door off, change the bushings, and put it all back together. Right. But what happens is by the time you realize that the door is sagging, it's dragging on the latch, and it's hard to open and close, the bushing has been worn out, and it's eaten into the hinge. Right. So now the hole is not round anymore. It's oblong. And if you press a bushing into it, a brass bushing, mm-hmm. there's no structure to hold it. That's so right. the weight of the door is just going to break it back out. That's right. And then you're into another hinge. And that can be a very, very, very big deal because most hinges today are welded on. They're they not are. bolted on like they were in years past. What they have found is that in the manufacturing process, because they have robots that are doing this stuff now, they can locate that hinge so precisely, precisely on that pillar they just weld it on. They don't have right. to pay someone to put bolts through it. They do not have it. to seal it or adjust it or right. any of that. Now, the bad thing is, once it wears out, it's nearly not replaceable. Uh, again, the cost of replacing is going to be extremely high. You have to get in, grind all the wells out, take this off, put another one in. You may have to take some of the dash apart. It. That's right, just to get to it. Well, if you're doing any welding on that A-pillar, you've got to know what's behind it. That's right. And a lot of times, the dash is right behind it. Yeah, So there's a lot of flammable. sensitive... A lot of sensitive stuff behind the dash. Wires, modules, anything that could catch fire, padding, who knows? Who knows? Even the windshield may be close enough to where the heat might affect that. Right. And then you're going to be into painting when you're through with that. Sure. Because it all, you can burn all the paint off when you weld this new hinge on. The point is, replacing a door hinge can be extremely expensive. Now, you can prevent a lot of this. Yes, you can. Just by putting a tiny drop of lubricant on those door hinges from time to time. Right. And I know on my car's... Probably about every third oil change, I like to go in and either spray or put some kind of light lubricant on the door latches and also on the hinges. Uh And same thing with your hood hinges and your trunk hinges and all that. You don't want a big gob of grease on there because that's going to attract dirt and dust, which is going to make a grinding compound, which is going to only make the problem worse. Exactly. But some type of a dry, clear lubricant that doesn't really show, spray a little bit on there. Even WD-40 or something like that, penetrating type oil. Just some kind of oil. Some kind of lubricant. Lubricant, I should say, yeah. Doesn't take a whole lot, just a little bit. Don't have to do it that often. The little detent that holds the door in the two positions the when door you open strike. it. The door strike, uh-huh. Lubricate it. A lot of them are, are just a roller and a spring. That needs lubricant. Mm-hmm. Some of them are sliding and the rollers are inside the door. Right. Well, I've seen those jam up so bad until it breaks the, the end of the door out. Well, and what happens when a door gets harder to open and close, people tend to pull on door handles and end up breaking the door handles. Yep. Which is a whole nother story. Yes, it is. And uh, I see we're just about out of time, so we're probably not going to have much time to get into all that. But 
Those door handles are generally made out of plastic. Yep. And they are designed to give a light tug, open a door, push the door open. They're not designed as a pull strap. <laughs> if you grab that handle and, and you pull, pull the it. door shut, you're probably going to break the door handle. Yep. Which, like I said, is a whole other topic. Yes. <laughs> I see we're just about out of time. I want to go ahead and start winding up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them calling this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and find the written reviews and fill it out for us. That's right. Give us a written review. That'll move us up in the rankings to where when someone types in our repair, our name comes up close to the top. And certainly more people listening the longer we can keep doing the show. That's it. If nobody listens. They're going to throw us right on out here. <laughs> Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.